The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. From the Animal Justice Party, we have Andy Maddock. Andy, good morning. Thanks for being on the program. Good morning, Mitch. How are you? Good, thank you. First of all, it is October, so we're getting very quickly towards the end of the year. I'm just wondering how things are going in State Parliament, and also, will the Parliament be able to catch up for the time that was missed where you weren't sitting due to the lockdowns? Look, first, to answer the last part of your question first, yes, we will. Um, we're, we're sitting two weeks in a row, um, starting tomorrow morning, um, and we'll be following that with more consecutive sittings after a week back in the electorate. So, yes... Every single week that has been missed um, through to postponement, um, the parliament was never cancelled. It was always just postponed. Um, We will be making those up. And what is the focus in state politics? Is it very much on COVID or are there other issues that are sort of slipping under the radar? I think it, it, it would be disingenuous to say that COVID is still not the major focus. However, um, every single other bill that is on the government's agenda still comes before the House. Um, we, we still um, have everything going backwards and forwards about that, discussions with government, discussions with the opposition, uh, potential amendments, those sorts of things. Everything is still going ahead. And, and that's something I feel that has been lost to um, the, the general public is that people may feel that uh, the, the business of running the state um, has been put on the back burner. That's just simply not the case. Everything has still been going ahead. In fact, there's been concerted efforts, despite the fact that we've had um, truncated sitting days in order to make sure that the parliament is sitting in a COVID-safe manner, for instance. Um, everything has, Every effort's been made to make sure that the business of the state carries on as normal. How does it work for a regional Victorian MP travelling to Melbourne? I assume you're essential workers, but are there any extra requirements on top of that process? Do you have to be vaccinated, for example? Well, we haven't been up until now, but that's, I I suspect, going to become um, a a point very much uh, for discussion, given that uh, the the latest um, rulings from the the Chief Health Officer that authorised and essential workers must be vaccinated. Um, Now, the the parliamentarians, like anybody else, um, we're we're subject to those same orders, those same directions. Um, uh, But, however, like everybody else, there are people out in the community and there'll be parliamentarians. I don't know who they are, but there will be parliamentarians who would have an exemption on medical grounds. And that's perfectly reasonable. Um, I don't think it's fair, though, or right, that um, a parliamentarian uh, refuses to have it done and puts himself in that that, that boat of the anti-vaxxers. Um, we have a responsibility to set the to set the example for the community where we possibly can. So, to that point about compulsory vaccination for workers, you were part of the CFMEU before you were in Parliament, in that you were in the construction industry. Don't know if you're still a member of the CFMEU, but what did you make of those scenes that we saw out the front of the CFMEU offices over the last couple of weeks in Melbourne? It was uh, almost another level to what I've seen in the past. First of all, I'm happy to say I am still a member of the CFMMU um, and I think those scenes were absolutely appalling and I don't want people to be fooled into thinking that was uh, a majority of members of the union, members of other trade unions or anything like that or a whole bunch of tradies even because you have to remember as well there is a, a, a very large 
uh, sector of um, the building industry that is non-unionised, and that largely comes from the uh, the, the home construction sector. Um, and, and there would have been some of those there. And I don't doubt that there were some genuine members there and there were some genuine uh, construction workers. But from what I have seen, um, and I have seen some screenshots of um, from the different uh, uh, applications, the different, um, you know, uh, communication platforms that these people use, uh, this was, was organised, make no mistake, it was organised by far-right extremists uh, neo-Nazi groups and white supremacists. So I have, in fact, seen a screenshot um, uh, of instructions that have come from a European-based white supremacist organisation organising people for that, that, that riot at the front of that office. And it's absolutely appalling. I, I find it absolutely appalling um, that the behaviour of people on that day. I guess we'll never know what percentage of the people that were there were CFMMU or construction workers and what percentage were the people that infiltrated. Clearly, there were elements of both there, but um, people seem to be disagreeing about what the proportion of each group was. Oh, that's right, and we won't know. We, we just simply won't know. And, and, and that's the unfortunate part of it. But, Metro, I take heart from the fact that the majority of the population, despite how horrible it's been, despite how hard it's been for everyone, the majority of the population just want to get through this. They want to do the right thing. They want to support their family and friends. They want to support their community and they're doing the right thing. And that is the majority. It's just unfortunate that in this day and age that a noisy and violent minority um, have access to platforms and, and can get such a, you know, a broad publicity base. Um, that's the unfortunate thing about that because really everyone should just be, you know, just not listening to them and just getting on with doing the right thing for their neighbours and their friends and family. Do you think that most of the construction industry says, yes, uh, we think it's fair enough that we have to be compulsorily vaxxed in order to return to work? Well, I'm unsure about that. You'd have to conduct a poll. Um, I, from what I understand, yes, that's the case. And certainly I made an effort last week to contact um, old mates of mine who still work in the industry um, and the, they came back to me and, and said, yeah, look, the, the, the talk is that they just want to get... They want to get back to work just like everybody, everyone else and they're willing to do whatever they need to do to get back to work. Now, October brings in Spring Racing Carnival, which is clearly a focal point for animal rights activists such as yourself. I'm just wondering how you feel at this time of the year. And something else I found interesting is how much the calendar seems to revolve around days like Melbourne Cup Day, for example, with the supposed easing of the lockdown uh, potentially being around early November. There's already talk about whether or not that will be just in time for Melbourne Cup Day. So it's still clearly a very big focal point on our state's calendar. Oh, look, clearly it is, um, and it's a very big money maker for the state uh, in, in terms of taxation, etc. Um, what I found, and what a lot of people, people who aren't even animal rights activists, Mitch, a lot of people found the fact that racing was able to continue during lockdowns was was quite offensive, um, given that the money is made from gambling. We've seen an enormous spike. I don't know if you've noticed, but on television particularly, there's been an enormous spike in gambling ads. Um, that That's something that we should get rid of. You know, we got rid of um, uh, smoking adverts. We got submitted smoking advertising in, in, in sports grounds everywhere, all that sort of stuff. Um, gambling um, is is 
a terrible blight on our community in terms of uh, gambling addiction and we've simply allowed that to go ahead. It's my view, and it won't be popular, it's my view that all gambling ads on television, radio, etc., during football, all events, particularly sporting events, and any other time should be banned as well. I find it absolutely horrible that children who are watching a football match at quarter time and half time can quote the odds and the line betting and still not know the score. Mm. Uh, in terms of the actual way that racing is conducted, apparently you're involved in talks of the state government around the use of the whip and banning the whip. Just wondering what the progress is on that. Um, look, that was a great win that we had in a motion in the chamber. We, were, we worked constructively with the, both the industry and with the government and with the Minister Martin Pakula on this. Um, all states um, have had a desire to, to get rid of whips in racing for quite some time. But the way that the rules of racing are set up is that you have to have a 70% majority vote. Now, two states have 35% each. Now, that's Victoria and New South Wales. So if all the other states, including either New South Wales or Victoria, got together and wanted something done, they would still not be able to do that without the approval of one of those two big states because they would have power of veto. And in this instance, it's New South Wales who's holding out. The, the, the decision to actually get rid of the whip now lies with New South Wales and all of the other states are committed to, 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 to working to try and get that over the line as well. So I'm hopeful that we'll get a result nationally. But just something that came through the other day, I'm not sure that you saw it, um, but something that I've been campaigning on for a long time and I'm very hopeful now that we will see Victoria fall into line with every single other state. Victoria is actually now isolated in terms of jumps racing. We saw the decision last week that South Australia has now made that from 2022, jumps racing will no longer be conducted in South Australia. We were the last two states to hold out on it and now it's Victoria going it alone. And the problem there is that um, it is such a dwindling industry and the reliance was that horses on both sides of the border um, were the only ones being con the conducting being uh, ridden in these races and they would continually cross the border to support each other. That now will not happen in Victoria. Um, those horses from South Australia won't be taking part in Victorian jumps racing um, and you know, well, at least that's the Im implication um, and, and so this is a, this is a minority um, industry, it's a minority act of cruelty that we just have to get rid of now. It's time for Victoria to stop being isolated to fall in line with everybody else um, and, and just get rid of it. The public don't don't like it. It's not well supported um, and it's not well bet on. So it's time to go. Yeah, I did say that they made that decision or made that announcement. What do you think pushed them over the edge to actually ban it? What was the catalyst for that change? Why suddenly now? Well, it's a number of factors and, and it's, and it's a, um, a culmination of pressure brought to bear of those factors and, and primarily of which is unpopular with the general public. Um, it kills more horses than any other type of horse event in, in the, that, that's going around, flat track racing, uh, eventing, you name it. Um, jumps racing kills more than any, any, other, any other event. Um, but so the, the general public wanted to see it gone. It's not supported by the general public who, who, who do bet and who do gamble on horse racing. Um, the jockeys themselves in South Australia didn't want to do it anymore because they considered it too dangerous. Um, and the, the, the individual um, jockey clubs at the individual uh, racing tracks um, also didn't want to see it because it costs money um, that those tracks did not want to spend to upgrade 
and continually try to keep pace with so-called improvements to make the sport so-called safer. And it just wasn't working. Um, because it's, it's a fact that when you, when you run these animals at speed over enormous distances, uh, the, the, the fatigue factor is enormous and they do eventually break down, they do fall and they do die. And it's, and it's a danger for both horse and rider. On another animal rights issue, I see that you're trying to push to have factory farming of rabbits banned. Um, how big is that industry in Victoria? Oh, it's an absolutely small industry, Mitchell. It's it's a, a hangover from a bygone era, and it's incredibly cruel. Um, you know, everybody will have seen, um, you know, the, the sorts of conditions that factory chickens live in, for instance, and everyone is appalled. And and people have been voting with their with their consumer dollars on that. You know, we've we've seen people, you know, the the uh, enormous increase in people buying free range supposedly from um, uh, from supermarkets and, and a fall in the purchasing of those animals that are kept in factory farm conditions. And it's no different with rabbits. They're kept in exactly the same types of conditions. And the video that was shot from inside of, of that particular farm um, where uh, rabbits had their like parts of their limbs missing and their bones exposed, um, where they uh, suffered from head tilt, um, where they had enormous open weeping sores, all sorts of diseases. This is a fact of factory farming of rabbits. It, it supplies a very niche market, a very niche market. And there are only two left in Victoria um, and they are only allowed to operate under a licence. Um, and so we've been, we've been working with the previous Agriculture Minister, Jacqueline Symes, on this. And our position is that um, the, the licences for these, these farms should not be removed, renewed when they come up. Um, and, and that's what we'll continue to push for. So that industry will be one that also goes the way of the dodo. Just finally, in New South Wales, you would have, of course, seen that the Premier stood down there uh, due yeah. to ICAC, and uh, she is the third Liberal Premier to resign due to ICAC. The first was mm. Nick Griner, who actually set it up, and then uh, we had, of course, Barry O'Farrell with that infamous moment um, back in about 2015, I think it was, and now, of course, Gladys Berejiklian. We don't seem to see politicians resign here in Victoria quite like in New South Wales, is that because we're a much less corrupt state or do we need uh, IBAC or an equivalent of ICAC here to really step up? Well, we, we do have one in Victoria. We do have IBAC and, and they do an incredible job. Um, they investigate corruption not just with parliamentarians and politicians um, and governments, but across the board. They, they investigate a whole range of matters um, and, and they do an enormously good job. Um, it's just that it's not something that's, you know, very much in the public eye unless it's a high-profile figure, as has been the case with those, those premiers, as you pointed out, in New South Wales. The worry that many people, those of us who are progressive um, politicians have, and, and, and speaking with friends of mine who, who aren't, um, you know, so much involved in politics but are consider themselves progressive people, um, they don't want to see... Uh, a New South Wales Premier instated now who would be considered from the far right. Um, you know, with, it's, it's been, uh, seems to be a theme um, with conservative governments and conservative um, political parties at the moment to run this push to the far right. Um, I, I'm completely supportive and work really well with um, opposition members in our parliament who are what, um, you know, for want of a better term, I call them small-l liberals. You know, they're 
socially progressive, but they're fiscally conservative and they're far easier to work with far more reasonable people than hardliners on the far right. Every time we've seen hard right governments around the world, we see um, terrible treatment of their citizens. We see their rights eroded um, and, 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 you know, we see draconian measures put in place um, permanently, not like a, you know, what we're going through here in Victoria at the moment, indeed Australia is going through with the pandemic, but we're talking permanent things, you know. We only have to look to the US and look at Donald Trump and the absolute fiasco that that, that country became under him on that far right. That's what we, we must avoid that at all costs. So would you classify the supposed replacement of Gladys still has to be formalised by a vote, but apparently the factional bosses have got together and organised it. Uh, Dominic Perrottet, would you say he is of the far right, given the comments that you might have read that he's made over the years? That, that's correct. And, and, and that I find very sad and very disappointing if that ends up being the case. And it's a sad day for Australian politics if that's the case. Well, thanks very much for being on the program. We'll talk to you again next month and uh, it'll be November by then and let's hope that maybe we're almost one state again. Yep, let's hope so, mate. And, and, and please, uh, the, the element of our, of our communities that um, wants to do the right thing, just hang in there, go and get tested if, that, if you have symptoms, go and get vaccinated if you haven't. Um, and the sooner we do that, the sooner we hit those benchmarks, the sooner the state will open up and we'll all be able to move, not just within Victoria, but interstate and overseas as well. And, and that's what we want to get back to. Thank you very much. Andy Maddick there from the Animal Justice Party MP for Western Victoria. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts.